Today, I find myself here in Brooklyn, New York, at the Emanuel Baptist Church movement. Alexis P. Suda. Yes. What does the P stand for? Porterfield. Porterfield? Yes. It was my grandmother's maiden name. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a nice name. Thank you. Um, tell me about your connection with this church. Wow. Okay. Well, growing up in the neighborhood, you know, it's right across the street from the home, and a lot of people that I knew were coming here, and, you know, my father had me come to the summer programs here when I was a kid to, to stay involved even after schools, mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, I just, everybody knew everybody. We were neighbors. Everybody is connected in some way here, and, uh, you know, I started singing in the choir here, and uh, under Sister Brown, I haven't seen Sister Brown in years. And uh, at the time, it was Reverend Whitaker who was the pastor of the church, which he's gone now. But now it's Reverend Trufant. And uh, it's really a great place. And af after the interview, I'll take you in the sanctuary so you can see for yourself. No, it's a beautiful church. Mm -hmm. um, I know that when I saw you a couple of years ago at the Pennsylvania Blues Festival, you 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 were doing you were presenting a gospel show, mm -hmm. and I understand that the choir was from this church. Yes, yes. Um, it was a combination, really, of people from this church and from the Brooklyn interdenominational choir, which a lot of them came from here as well. Mm -hmm. But it was a combined choir. It's about forty voices, and we did an absolutely beautiful set for that Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. It was a great great time. It was it was a powerful set. Thank you. Um, so do you sing with them a lot, or was that a special one-off? Well, you know, um, we do things together from time to time. Actually, they're going to be with me at White Mountain Boogie oh, okay. in August. So, you know, we still, you know, they did a big thing at the Brooklyn Academy of Music for Martin Luther King's Day, and um, they had me sing something, and, you know, just beautiful stuff. You know, tell me a connection to that music, to gospel music. Wow, my mother. Uh, you know, she grew up. You know, my mother's ninety-four, so, you know, she grew up in a time in America where there were a lot of struggles, which mm -hmm. there are today. But I think the church music, the music, was healing to her and many people of that era. And I think it's, you know, my mother sang, like I said, she sang with Rosetta Thorpe, she sang with Mahalia Jackson, um, she sang with Harry Belafonte, she sang with so many people, wow. I, I can't even name them all. And how did these opportunities come about, mainly in the church or? Um, she sang all over, Okay. you know, she sang with Mavis Staples, she sang all over, you know, my mother, but it was grounded in gospel it was right. it, the foundation has always been gospel she will not waver from that but she did sing opera mm -hmm. wow. she did and she know. taught music as well yes right? she did uh, she went to Juilliard she went to Bluefield State Virginia College she went to um, NYU I believe she, my mother went to many colleges graduated many colleges many degrees forget it <laughs> that would be a whole nother interview <laughs> You know? So I presume she is a major influence, or obviously an Absolutely. influence to you. Absolutely. What do you think you got from your mom, musically? I think I got 
basically everything from my mother. I mean, my mother, when I used to, you know, sit back and hear her sing, it used to bring such a wave of emotion over me. I, I couldn't really understand it. Um, and I think that without even understanding what I do sometimes and people come up to me and say how I made them feel, I sort of understand where they're coming from, but I don't understand how I did that. Right. You understand? I'm yeah. just singing. I'm just in my zone. So my mother has given me discipline around it. You know, she has given me thought around it. And um, it's something that you learn for the rest of your life. You just don't know it all. I presume you saw your mom perform while you were growing up. Yes, absolutely. Um, Do you remember what impression that made upon you? Well, it made a big impression upon me um, to see my mother. She sang with this one particular choir that I knew very well, the Clinton Utterback Choir. And they went all over the country. And I remember just seeing my mother sing, and she was a mezzo-soprano. And I would hear her sing and just be blown away. And to, you know, you're a kid, you know, I'm looking around at people, not even realizing that they're really stuck, like, you know, mm -hmm. looking at my mother and, and enjoying it. And, it was just great being around that, right? you know? And I knew that one day that if I could sing that great, I would have that same thing. You know, I'm still striving to be that great. But was there ever a doubt that you would pursue music? No, no, there was never a doubt in that. I mean, I've been in music since I could, I knew I would play some type of part right. in music, whether it be playing something or singing or writing or something. Um, so tell me about that. Tell me about what it gives you from a performer's point of view. Music? You, you're saying what is music? Basically, what is music to me? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you see your mom and, and you see how she moves people and it moves you. Um, and that's one thing. But for you to now be on stage and what does it give you when you're on stage or you see what you're doing to the audience? It gives me a platform to send a message of love to people. Mm -hmm. I have that platform. As small as it is, I have a platform to show them that music can save people and lives. You have no idea how many times people have come to me and say, you and your band have saved my life. I was on the brink of suicide until I heard your message. That to me means more to me than anything in the world that I can get through and open people's hearts and minds. Tell me about the message. I mean, are you very conscious of I'm what? very conscious. Okay, so you obviously, you write and, and you choose music that you want to present to people. What, what's the thought process and what do, you, what do you think, what do you, what has to happen or how do you go about choosing certain it's things? It's so easy. Life is, you can write about life, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what we do. Every single song that we write about is real. And that's why it's so easy to relay. 
-hmm. It's nothing phony about it. You know, it's like we're vulnerable, you know, and we're also showing people that we're no different than you just because we're on stage and playing instruments and singing after the curtain goes down, mm -hmm. you go back to that home. There's no audience in that home. Not unless it's your family, you know, you greet Man. your family, but you know what I mean. Man. So you have to keep it real with people. People know when you're fake and they know when you're real. So when you do music, I'll keep it on the I and we, you know, we try to actually we write about our lives and lives of people that we know are going through something because no one is unique right. really no one so you know if you really listen to the lyrics and you and you know you'll understand that it can relate to you in some way the whole song may not relate to you but maybe a bit of that song relates to you mm -hmm. you know what i mean so that's how we we write that's how I write. Your mom sang only gospel. Mm -hmm. um, you said she sang some opera as well. But mm -hmm. for yourself, was it an issue that you would sing something other than gospel? Or, or even was it an issue to your mom that you decided that you would sing something other than gospel? Well, you know, growing up, we weren't allowed to listen to certain music in the home. Oh, okay. So when I, it was when I was outside of the home that I could listen to certain things. Mm -hmm. How did yeah. you feel about that? Um, I like, sort of felt, I sort of felt a little isolated from some of my friends, mm -hmm. but in the late 60s, early 70s, oh Lord, I'm telling my age, <laughs> in the late 60s, early 70s, a lot of children were into church. Mm -hmm. It's not like it is now. It's just so out of control now. Right. Um, so they sort of related to what I was going through, you know, and we were the crew that went around and listened to, you know, music that was forbidden in our homes. And, um, and then I had an older sister, God bless her, she's gone now, but uh, she was the oldest and sort of rebellious, but she was very, very bigger than life. Uh, she introduced me to Cream, uh, the group America, Credence Clearwater Revival, Baby Huey and the Babysitters. I mean, like real, like my friends, they, you know, if they did listen to music, they were doing the Motown, they were mm -hmm. doing it at, I was doing the opposite and I loved it. I do, loved it all. Do you remember the first thing you heard that, you just, that just knocked you out? Um, it was this record called Here Comes the Judge. Here comes the judge. Everybody knows that here comes the judge. I don't remember who it was by, hmm. but I used to hear that. Like my sister played a song with that in it, and that was like the first thing I was like, here comes the judge. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that started it. I was like, there's, there's more to this somewhere, and I got to get it, you know? And, you know, back then the public schools, the schools had music programs. Mm -hmm. So... There were a lot of people in the music like me from all walks of life that put it, put things in the pot for people to hear. Yeah, I was in the band. Right. So I heard a lot of different stuff because people, when they went home to their homes, they listened to different things and brought it back. You know, so I was always surrounded by some type of music, you know, 
other than gospel. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't bring it in my house. <laughs> and that was it. But you played the tuba, the sousaphone? I played the sousaphone for nine years. You know, I played, I've marched in every major parade down Fifth Avenue. <laughs> every major parade. You name it, Can I you did. still play? No, I don't know if I have the wind to play that anymore. I still have my mouthpiece mm -hmm. from elementary school. Still and have it. So this would have been mainly big band, marching band kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. absolutely. And you play other instruments as well. I play the piano a little bit. You know, I play a little bit of drums, but not like Raymond Grappone, my drummer. He can he plays the drums. That's that's for him. Right. But I play a little bit of piano, nothing uh, to rave about, you know, but enough to help me write something. Right. And I just pass it on and then they add it, then they pass it on, they add it, and it becomes a song. Is that an easy process or a difficult process for you? Easy. Yeah? Yeah, it is easy. I mean... Is it something that you're constantly working on or is it only driven by deadlines in the next album? Oh, no, no. It's always something I'm working on. I have songs in my head right now that's ready for the next album. At least three. Right. You know? And... uh Sometimes I wish we could just learn it and start doing it now, but we got to keep doing the new album for it. I mean, you know, it just really basically came out a couple of months ago. So tell me about that. Tell me about how you were in a choir, that you have your musical background, but at what point did you decide that you wanted to be a musician and front your own band? Wow. Well, that came way down the line because uh, when I first started singing professionally, I was doing house music. Right. Okay. And, um, you know, I did that for so long. And then in the 90s, uh, I was the first African-American woman signed to Epic Sony Japan's dance label. Uh -huh. And I did that for a little while. And what and kind of music was that? Same house music, music dance music, right. you know. Boom, boom, what boom, was the boom, single boom, again? Boom. What was it called? Slam? Slam Me Baby Slam was me. the first one. How and, did it uh, do? Uh, with Japan, I had Stop, We Need Each Other. And it was great, you know. And then I took a hiatus. I said, you know, I just, I don't want to do this. Uh, you know, I didn't like the management I had. And I said, I'm just going to ride the rest of this contract out and just do Can nothing. I ask you why? Or would you rather not talk um, about it? You know, sometimes people grow apart. Mm. And... Uh, you, you try to remain friends, even though. And it's hard sometimes when uh, business, right? you know. So I had to do what I had to do because I didn't like a lot of things that, in my opinion, were going on. Now, so, at that point, what was, your, what was your dream? Was your dream to have a big hit single? Like, what was your vision of what being I a think every was. artist wants a big hit single I mean Slammy Baby uh, my first 12 inch was a big underground hit I mean huge right. huge they still play it it's a classic if you could find it online it's probably 100 to 200 dollars maybe 300 dollars a 12 inch hmm. I'm serious so you know I just didn't want to do that with that particular individual anymore. So right. when I stopped, I took like a two-year hiatus. And then I met two beautiful, wonderful lights in my life, Ray and Vicky. And they have a record label called Hip Bone. And they gave me a call one night because we have mutual friends. 
and asked me to come in and, and put some vocals on the track. And it's been history ever since. We did like four or five records. And then after that, me and Vicky were like, you know, we're so much more than a bass drum and a hi-hat. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, we have stories we can actually tell and really get like a wider audience Mm-hmm. to enjoy what we do. So I, the very last house record I did, You Don't Know, it's a blues acapella with Jimmy Bennett, before I even met Jimmy, Jimmy Bennett playing some blues on top and I'm doing some acapella, you know, something over, not acapella, but singing over that. Mm-hmm. And it was called You Don't Know. That was the last thing we did. And, and then... All of, a, uh, all of a sudden, we just started doing different things. And then I met Levon, mm-hmm. Levon Helm. Right. So Jimmy Bennett and Peter Bennett had a band, and they still have it, called the Bennett Brothers. Mm-hmm. So when we used to go up to the Midnight Ramble, it would be the Bennett Brothers featuring Alexis P. Suda. How many years ago was this? Oh wow, two thousand five, six, seven, eight. I mean, we 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 were up there for a while. Right. We opened up for Levon over ninety times. So Jimmy had a situation in Florida. He had to leave, and they didn't want to break up the band. So Levon said, "Well, now it's the Alexis P. Suda band." Hmm. And we've been. Doing it ever since. And musically at that point, was it basically what you're doing now or was it something different when you first started? Um, when I first started, I was doing dance music, Wait, so, so it's after way that. different. Uh, <laughs> but blues, it's like blues, okay. rock. We do rock. I do the Who song, Rain or Me. I do a lot of things. I don't, you know, I mean, of course they're going to categorize me either blues or gospel because it's how I sound. I'm a big black woman. You know what I'm saying? So where else you going to put me? You ain't going to put me in pop. So... I accept it for where people can understand it. Mm-hmm. And if they can understand it, me being in the blues, fine. If they can understand it, me being in gospel, fine. Was there much success with the house band? House there was a lot of uh, success with that. I mean, it was beautiful back then, but it's not like it now is just a, there's no real capital in that. Mm-hmm. You can't pay your rent right. with that. Unless you're like this big name. I could have, if I was still in the game, I would have been one of the top people like Barbara Tucker, like all these other people that were coming up around, you know. I would have been up there too. I'd have been, you know, but I, I wanted more than that. I wanted more than that. When you say you wanted more by doing this music, have you gotten that? Yes. Okay. Ten times more. There's something I should have asked you before and when I read in the bio about uh, you seeing the Mills Brothers. Yes. Can you talk about that? Because I mean, wow. I, it seems like it might have been a significant moment in your it life. It was a big moment in my life. Um, okay, my father, God bless him, he's gone too. He worked in the post office for 40 years. Mm-hmm. But every other year, the post office has a convention in some state. This particular year, it was New Orleans. Right. Nice place to have a yeah. convention. And like it was like a five-star hotel that we stay, all the delegates, blah, blah, blah. I was a kid. I didn't care. So when they were in meetings, you know, I would go to the auditorium where they were rehearsing. 
They call it stalking now, but <laughs> you're a kid. I'm a kid. I don't know. So I went to their rehearsals. We were only there for a week, but I was, I guess I was there so much. It got to the point where they invited me to breakfast, you know, they were like, you know, now one of the brothers, I could tell he was like not feeling me being around them. I How think old that, were you? Can I ask? I was like 10. Okay. And music was in your life, but not in this form. Not in that form. And um, it got to the point where they were like, look, we want you and your mom to come be our guests. My father had to be at meetings. So my mother and I went and I got to see the Mills Brothers sing Glowworm and all these great tunes. And I was really close with Harry Mills, who was blind at that time, legally blind at that time. So he would say to me, you just hold my hand and you lead me around. You make sure I don't bump into any tables. And, you know, and he treated me like a like a granddad or something because he was like really, really up there in age. You know right. I mean, come on, we're talking about this group from the 30s and yeah, yeah. 40s. So, you know, I knew when I saw that and how nice they were dressed and how in tune I was like, wow. As a kid, that was very impressive, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, always kept it in my heart to, you know, want to do that, be on stage. Right. You know, that was just another, yeah, I want to do it. Yeah, I want to do it. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm doing it. Right. You understand? So it, it's all a part of chain of events. And so what did the Leave on Helm connection and the Midnight Ramble connection mean to you? What did that do for your career? Oh, wow. Um, you know, it did a lot. It did a hell of a lot. Uh, you know, he really, really loved us. And um, he showed it, you know, through, you know, us working. He wanted us to work. He wanted us to be seen. You know what I mean? And he wasn't jealous of us. And I'm going to leave it like that. Mm -hmm. And he gave us an opportunity. And we respectfully took that opportunity. And we're still going strong because of someone like Levon. Right. Tell me, I know it's not an easy thing to be a musician. Mm -hmm. It's a difficult career to mm -hmm. pursue. Tell me about the tough times. Wow. I mean, was it easy to go, go from house music to a blues band or? It really wasn't. Like I can imagine that would be quite a, an, a change. No, it really an wasn't because I reinvented myself and was confident in it. Mm -hmm. You can't be afraid and say you want change. I'm not saying it's not healthy to be a little scared because who wouldn't be? You're, you're going from one complete genre to something that's totally different. Mm -hmm. But because I think I have the gospel background and because my message has been consistent mm -hmm. from for 20 some odd years, I believe that's what gave me the courage and the commitment 
to continue doing it. And the message has always been love. So I think that when you walk that talk and people actually see you do that and you are living that, and I'm not saying I'm perfect, I'm human. I'm human, I have my moments. But I am genuinely a person who will do anything for anybody. I don't just walk by people. I don't just walk by homeless people. I, I try to, if, if I don't have nothing to give them, I'll tell them, be encouraged. Mm-hmm. You're not your circumstance. You understand? Because by the grace of God, that could be me. Who am I to judge? Now, does that come from your religious background? I think it comes from how I saw my parents treat people. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, people would just walk in our house and come and make a peanut butter jelly sandwich and leave. I'm like, what? Because <laughs> my father always believed in feeding and clothing people. Deacon Suter. So it just came natural. And sometimes I would be so mad at certain situations where I was like, are you kidding? You're going to let them do that? And he's, you know, he would be like, you know, put yourself in their situation. And he's not telling me to be a fool about anything, but be a little empathetic. Be a little concerned for your fellow man. Mm-hmm. So I learned that from my parents, and I guess they learned that from being in these institutions and then passing it on. But it was up to me to grasp it or not, and I, I chose to hold on to that. And, and singing style, did it change from once you would, what you were doing to, I mean, obviously you're a great singer. Thank and I, you. I presume you have confidence in what you do as a singer. But yes. when you decide to change genres and to seek this band as opposed to the house music, was that an adjustment vocally or to, to know who you are as an artist? Um, I already knew who I was as an artist. Um, and vocally... Yes, a lot, because a lot of the stuff I was doing, my, I was screaming a lot of the times in house music because it's that kind of energy, you know? And you can still tell a story, but most of the time it's just cuts and edits and, you know. Mm -hmm. But in the blues and in gospel and in rock and that situation, I get to sing and I get to tell a story without the cuts and the edits right. and the and but people was it get easy it. To do that? Oh much easier. It's much easier. It's much easier. You know what I mean? And uh it's it's more received. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was easy to go from that to the next because we were absolutely confident that we could do it. You know, Mm -hmm. and uh, we just did it just like right now, whatever we just we just do it. You know what I mean? If it's for the better good, why not take a chance? Right. Was there a point where you thought like I know you do gospel presentations like Mm -hmm. we talked about before? Um, I I presume at certain point you kind of gave up the gospel background when you pursued your own band and your own music. Did it was it? How did you come back to gospel music? Or did you never let it go? I never let it go. Okay. So that was still a, 
presence in the yeah absolutely okay. i never i never let it go i can't let it go because it's a part of me it's who i am um and i believe that gospel and blues is so related they're so they're like cousins mm -hmm. you know what i mean like you know ray charles was known for doing that you know combining and, and right. mixing it up so you know, it's very close in relation, and it's very easy to relate to. And uh, it never took me off my course, and never took me off my um, journey. Um, and it's funny because when I sing the blues, a lot of times uh, people will come to me and be like, "You know, do you do gospel? You should do gospel." I've heard that so much that now that I do have another band and it's mm -hmm. a gospel band. So I, I I try to stay on top of both of them because I love to do project? both of them. Can we talk about that project? Sure, if you like. So you have your own band. Yes. Which is mainly in the blues genre. Yes, blues and rock. And then this other project, what is it called? It's called Alexis Souter and the Ministers of Sound. And you're going to be doing a recording soon, is that correct? Uh, we did the recordings this past Sunday at Briggs Farm. Okay. And it should be out next year because we just got, you know, I, with my other band, I, we just got a new album, so I can't, you know, I wouldn't do that. Right. And Amos, it's myself, Ray Gapone, Vicky Bell, Dave Keys, and so far playing back and forth with us is Chris Bergson. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and sometimes Mark Berman. Mark Berman plays keys with us sometimes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's cool. And then with the APSB, it's Peter Bennett, Jimmy Bennett, Ray Gapone, Vicky Bell, and myself. So, it's cool. I was going to ask you what hobbies you have. Hobbies? Outside of music. I love to draw. I really? love to color. I love to create things with my hands. Um, wow. I used to roller skate a lot. I can't do that no more. <laughs> the the artwork that you do, the drawing, is this for It's just coloring. Just for yourself or is it for Well, I have person? a coloring book on Facebook. It's mm -hmm. called Coloring Book Fanatics. No. Oh. And the stuff on there is so phenomenal that these people color and draw it's it will blow your mind i thought i was doing something i was like yeah i'm gonna start a page because my stuff is the bomb and people started joining and putting their stuff i don't think i put a picture up there in a while because <laughs> their stuff is so good but um i love to color and um i love to write what kind you of know, stuff do you, I, write? Uh, you know, stuff for new material, things of that nature. Okay. Some music lyrics. Yeah, okay. yeah music lyrics. I, I love to do that. And, um, you know, I love to just be a part of everybody. You know, in my family, I'm really a family person. Mm -hmm. um, do you so, have a big family? Well, they're not that big, not here in New York, but I do have a big family. A lot of them in Florida, I have some down south, I, all over. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, like I said, my mother's 94 years old, so a lot of my focus is on her. You know, my daughter's well. She, she's 24, sorry, 25, Carrie. And she graduated college with a 
degree in music. She sings opera in five different languages. Wow. And now she's in college for her master's for mental health. Hmm. I told her I wanted to have something to fall back on, yeah, yeah. you know. And uh, she's doing fantastic. And But I, I don't want to put, you know, my sister and my brother helps me with my mother, so... You know, I, I really don't want to put pressure on anybody, so I try to be there as much as I can. And I'm just more family-oriented because when I'm on the road, I'm around so many people and so much energy. And when I get home, I like to just be home. Mm-hmm. I don't like going far from my home. What does Brooklyn mean to you? Everything. Everything. I love my Brooklyn. I'm sad about a lot of things about my Brooklyn, but... Sorry, not knowing Brooklyn very well. Tell me what, what makes you sad. <clears throat> a lot of the character is, is to me, being washed away. Um, they're building on every empty little lot you know, so many new faces coming in and so many people who have been here for so many years have to leave because the rents are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And it bothers me to my heart to see that. That people have to uproot from their homes that they've been since before I even moved in the area and have to leave because they can't afford the rent anymore. That saddens me to my heart because everybody should be able to afford where they live, especially if you've been there over 20, 30 years, Mm -hmm. you know. But, you know, I still love my Brooklyn. I still love the people in it. It's a special borough. There's a lot of talented people in this borough. There's the film, Robin De Niro's film places there in the Navy Yard. They film all the, a lot of major movies there and Orange is the New Black and all of that. So, I mean, you know, once you leave here, if you walk around the neighborhood, Pratt Institute College is right across the street with some of the most fiercest artists and actors have come from. And um, I remember one year at their graduation when they used to have it outside. Um, James Earl Jones hmm. was the commencement speaker. See, I live on the 21st floor, so I could see everything. <laughs> and at the end of his speech, he said, and may the force be with you. You could, it was, it was pandemonium. It was pandemonium, you know. I mean, that was a good time, you know, one of the good times. And, and, and the most tragic time is when I saw the plane hit the World Trade. I mean, actually, looking out of my kitchen window. This would have been the second plane or the first one? The second plane. Right. And I saw when it was very low. And I said, Ma, why is this plane so low? Did you know that the first one had hit already? They said the first, they didn't say at first it was a terrorist attack. They right. said they thought it was a small plane that hit the top of the thing. So I saw the smoke. I'm looking at Channel 5 News. I saw the smoke coming from the top of the other building. But nobody knew it was a jet at that time. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking out the window, 
because I could see it. And then I see this plane there, and then it goes around like this and goes through the building, and I'm standing there in my kitchen like, me and my mother were screaming from the top of our lungs. We didn't know what else to do. And then this big mushroom, poosh, it was terrible. How did that event change your life? Oh my God. That was the one time in my life, really in my life, that I saw people from all walks of life showing love to each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, really. Showing love to each other. I don't know what happened. I don't know why we have to have a tragic and horrifying event for people to realize that we have to love one another and be there for each other. And it's not about color. It's about the human race that will soon be extinct if folks don't get it together. Mm-hmm. You know, it's but so much a human can take. How much you think Mother Earth can take? Oh and it's, it's getting way out of hand with everything. And we got to rein it in. And we got to love one another. And I know it sounds cliche and corny, but it's powerful. The power of love. What we can do for each other. Share with each other. Embrace each other. What's wrong with saying hello? Mm-hmm. It's just gotten way out of hand. And I'm, I'm really sad for this world right now. It's a scary time. Do you yeah. have, are you optimistic for the future though? Do you see the possibilities as being? I see the possibilities. But will the possibilities be a, of what it's supposed to be? Mm-hmm. Because it takes more than me. It takes more than you. Right. It's going to take everybody. And I don't think everybody's on the same plane. And I think that if folks don't start reining it in and start being about love, it's going to be terrible. It's going to be terrible. And I just pray to God that whoever's left will have learned from the lesson that brought them to that point to survive it. Mm-hmm. Now is your turn to make it right. But if people don't start loving each other and respecting each other, we're going down quicker. (laughs) You understand what I mean? So I don't mean to be the doomsday voice from (laughs) Brooklyn, but I I mean, that's just how I feel personally. I'm just speaking for me. You know, I'm not going by scripture in the Bible. I'm not going by... You know what people say. I'm going by what's in my heart and in my and what I see and what I hear and what I read. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of keyboard vigilantes out there, and when they start to type in their anger, it's horrible. You know. Tell me about your journey through music. Tell me about when you reflect upon what you've gone through. Mainly because I don't want to end on a negative. Right, right. I know. The doomsday (laughs) voice is gone, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Um, But tell me about that journey that you've taken and and all the different places you've been to and all the different emotions you've lived through. Well, you know, I'm I'm very glad to be alive because I've had major accidents in my life where I shouldn't even be talking to you. So, you know, for me, music is a therapy for me. Mm -hmm. And it helps me uh, get through every day, every day. Um, 
And I'm not saying that I get up and sing in the morning because, no, it's not like that. I'm just saying that because I have a purpose with this music that has brought me so far that it just gives me great pleasure to keep doing it because if it can help me and save my life, I know I can help and save others. And I've been on this journey a long time from a little girl and, you know, to make all the transitions that I made out of certain things into new things. And, you know, from old things can come new things, but you have to shed yourself of the old things. And the music journey has been fab, fab tabulous. Did I say that right? I think so. Yes. (laughs) Because uh, I've met great people like B.B. King, who I've opened up for over 10 times. Levon Helm. I met... uh, uh, Buddy Guy, I've met, uh, Ed, I opened up for Edda James once. Um, I mean, I've met so many people on this journey. Pine Top Perkins, Bob Margola. I mean, I could drop names all day long because I've been in the business so long. I've opened up for so many people. But that's what keeps me going because when I see what they've done in their lives with the music, I know that I can do that and probably go a step further. And hopefully those that come behind me can take it from there and go a step further. And that's how the music keeps going. Mm-hmm. So I'm very grateful for people like Denise LaSalle and Betty LeVette and, you know, uh, um, oh, so many. It's so many. <laughs> oh, my God. If I didn't say your name, forgive me. <laughs> You know, Bessie Smith and, you know, uh, um, Big uh, Mama Thornton, you know what I mean? Big Maybell. And, you know, these people who have gone through made a way for me. So my musical journey is not over until I can't do it anymore. And hopefully my legacy will live on to where it will encourage someone to want to do it. You know, I'm not here for fame and glory because if that was the case, I wouldn't be living across the street. Not saying it's bad because it's really nice. Mm -hmm. That's the way I live. I would be in a mansion somewhere, but I don't have to really be in a mansion to to do what I do. And this is what I do, and I love doing it. Well, you know what? It's been quite a pleasure just sitting here talking to you. Thank Thank you you so much for doing this. Thank you. I appreciate you coming here, you know. And sitting here with me and me blabbering on and <laughs> I'm trying to answer the question is going left, right, and center. So <laughs> No, it's but, it's, but it's, thank you. My real pleasure. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.